Welcome to Peaceful Ease. We all have the necessary strength and wisdom to solve most of our problems. What we often lack is a quiet space to think clearly and calmly. This podcast is all about tapping into that zone of inner wisdom. My name is Mario Pereca, and I'd like to invite you to join myself and Ela Crane every Monday and Friday. We'll be here to guide you to that endless power and insight within until you learn how to get there and function from there by yourself. This is a journey about being authentic, learning how to trust your instincts, realizing that each and every one of us are not just enough, but also perfect the way we are right now. Hi everyone, this is Ila Crane and tonight, and it's kind of late at night here where I am, we have Ronnie Bora with us. Welcome to Peaceful Ease, Ronnie. Thank you so much and I'm really looking forward to having a conversation with yourself. Thank you. And for the ones who haven't listened to my interview with Suraj Gogoi, please go back and listen to it because Suraj and Ronnie work together and their perspectives are somewhat in line but tonight I'm going to focus on Rani and her book and her journey since she wrote the book and I would like to mention the book first it's not a new book so don't think this is a book promo but it's a very very deep book that you can just read again and again and there are so many riddles in the book that I want to ask about but then let's see how it goes so I'm not like channeling the interview in a strict way <laughs> Could you tell us, Rani, what was your journey first to write this book and what happened to you since you wrote this book? Wow. So I'll try to give you a concise version of my story, I guess. Until I wrote the book, I didn't have any intention of writing a book. Let me put it that way. Uh, so the book happened. And I never saw myself as an author or someone who would even consider writing a book. So again, you know, people talk about we can't hurry life or we can't, you know, just um, you can try to set a goal. But there are sometimes that some things happen very, very much because they're meant to happen. So just to give you a background of my story. I guess I always considered myself someone, at least a long, long time ago, as someone who had low self-esteem, who lacked self-confidence, and everyone else was much better than myself. And that was the story of my life. And obviously, because I uh, was a doctor, trained doctor, and then I was training to be a psychiatrist, I was always able to hide behind the facade of that white coat and people would assume that I had confidence and it was so easy to pretend I was but obviously within I was struggling and this is why while I was training to be a psychiatrist I was also fascinated by personal development and went on to train as a life coach and became a neuro-linguistic practitioner and an advanced practitioner and, you know, did lots of things like narrative coaching and emotional freedoms technique. And again, my mantra used to be that if something works for me, because I know I have got low self-esteem and the technique or the strategy can help me, then I can take it to my patients. So this is how I kept looking for tools and techniques until I came across an understanding which I call the inside-out understanding or the understanding of innate health. 
And I think Suraj spoke about that, about the three principles discovered by Sydney Banks. Until I came across that understanding, I was constantly looking for a fix of some kind, like tools and techniques. And my journey hasn't been the same again. Literally, I stopped looking for tools and techniques to fix something because I realized that there was nothing to fix in the deeper sense. And I just want to highlight a few things you shared with us already, like there are such gems. I really like the fact that you said, you know, you thought if some things worked for you, it would work for your patients. And it can be the case, but it's really, it doesn't always work that way. But yet we have this misconception that, oh, it worked for me. So it should work for my children. It should work for my wife or husband. So what made you come out of this misconception? When we go from an intellect understanding, it always makes sense to think that, oh, because I got something from this, uh, someone else will get exactly the same, just like I did. And I think what happened to me was initially when I got into this understanding, it was quite intellectual. So I approached this understanding the same way I approach everything else. Like, oh, I have to learn this. I really have to learn this because it seems like thousands of people across the world are benefiting from it. And then like I wrote in the book, I had a big aha moment during one of my coaching conversations with a coach. And I was not even expecting it. I have to be very honest here. I was expecting her to give me tools and techniques like everything else. I, you know, I approach it the same way. So, so, okay, what are you going to teach me about life and dealing with stress and that sort of thing? And it was really interesting because she was totally going off topic in a way because she started to share something about the principles. And I was getting impatient. I, I still remember getting impatient. <laughs> and, and at some point, it was a really bizarre experience because at some point I could feel myself getting very relaxed and I didn't like that feeling. I said like, hang on a minute, I'm here and I paid money to be here and I want to get the most and I thought I needed to ask a lot of intellectual questions. But the only way I can describe is, is I had a sort of spiritual experience. I just felt too relaxed and then all of a sudden, it was something like a dark cloud coming over me or something, and I burst into tears. And, you know, we were not even talking about uh, patients or work. We were just talking about, you know, general life and how I had too much on my plate. And I remember I burst into tears and I was, you know, I was quite hysterical, to be honest. And even the coach was taken aback, like, what happened? You know, we haven't been talking about anything that could have triggered it. And my first words were, oh, my goodness. I always thought I was a recovery-oriented psychiatrist. I always thought I wanted to do good for my patients, but I realized that I was only looking at, you know, fixing them, and I was looking at the weaknesses rather than really looking at sort of their strengths. And that was my big aha moment. I did not think it, you know, I was not even considering it, but it just came out of the blue. So what I'm trying to say is that whatever happened to me was a sight from within, um, no one could have predicted that. So I guess it's the same with anyone. So when people talk about transformation, we think that it's something the coach might have said or done. That is why this um, this person has transformed. Or maybe because they are following these certain tools or techniques, that their whole life has transformed. But I would say you can do, do the best evidence-based strategy or intervention and deliver it to 100 people. But like you said, not 100 people would wake up. You know, not 100 people would have the same result. And so there's this thing about something has to shift from within. 
And when that happens, no matter where people are, you know, they will just wake up and then people might then attribute it to whatever happened. They might say, oh, you know, NLP was really helpful for me. My whole life transformed. Or some other people might say, I went to this guided meditation and something, you know, something the guru said helped me. But the thing is that, you know, the guru has said that to hundreds of people, but how come this person woke up? You know, do you see what I mean? Yeah, I guess it's about readiness, right? It's great about readiness. I think there is readiness. And also, you know, when the time comes, no one can stop it. So people might not even know that they're ready, but then you know, some, something happens. If we hear all these sort of stories where there is no rhyme or reason. So like people might say, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. And they're waiting for something to happen to them and nothing might happen. Whereas some people might just go about just living life. They're not even looking for something and something just happens and they just wake up. It's fascinating. All I'm trying to say is that there's no step by step that people can follow in order to sort of wake up who they truly are. That's really beautiful. And I really like the fact that it explains why things happen, not when we wait for them to happen, but when we stop waiting for them to happen. (laughs) (laughs) In other words, just get on life and keep doing things. And like you said, obviously, there's something about maybe you know that there's more to life than just how you see it or, you know, you know, there's more, much more to you. And I think a lot of people say that they know that they're suffering, and especially my patient mm-hmm. clients, they do say they don't know, know they're suffering and they know that they're much more than that. So there is a deeper intelligence or, you know, their own wisdom that keeps telling them that they can't just be the suffering or their mental health diagnosis or the anxiety or the depression. And this brings me to my next question. You already mentioned innate health. What exactly do you mean by that? The best way to explain to this is, this is something psycho-spiritual. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when we talk about innate health, we are talking about someone's true essence. And if you look at mental health, mainstream mental health, we don't talk about spirituality. We talk about the mind and body connection, but we don't talk about mind, body and spirit, for example, And yet when you look at people who are suffering or have been suffering for a long, long time, there is this deep desire that they know that they are doing the evidence-based interventions or that has been offered to them, like they have been offered medication, they have been offered CBT or, you know, other psychological therapy, and they have been going to different groups, but they also know that there is something missing. And some people call it like they say, whole, they don't know, you know, they just feel there's something else and they're thirsty for more. And when we use the term innate health, we are pointing to something psycho-spiritual and it's not an intellectual understanding like, oh, you talk about mind, you talk about this, that, oh, so I can understand it. That's very intellectual. We are talking about something more intuitive, something where the only way I can explain to it is like it's an inner knowing, it's a deeper intelligence. You know what? I need to be careful when I use, and I have been very careful when I say spiritual, but because most people take offense and they don't like to hear that from the cartridge, but they say, I'm not religious. And I'm saying, no, no, no. When I mean spiritual, I'm not talking about religion. And I say, I'm not a religious person at all. And I never saw myself as religious, but I always felt that I was somehow spiritual, meaning I felt there was somehow a connection to life, to nature, or however you express it. 
Yeah, and I was wondering, as you were kind of describing, sharing with us your journey, I was wondering how you integrate all this, because you're a psychiatrist and you had so many different other trainings. You work as a coach, you describe yourself as a spiritual person. And have you encountered any problems with integrating all these together? Because I think we tend to like putting things into certain boxes and not mixing and matching them. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I don't go about saying to people, look, you have come to a psychiatrist and I'm going to teach you about the psychospiritual <laughs> principles. <laughs> That's not the way at all. And I guess the main thing that has helped me is to know that no matter who's sitting in front of me, no matter what they're, you know, how long they have been suffering, what we might label them as in terms of the DSM-5 or ICD-10, it tells me that beneath all the suffering and everything, we need to look at something which is common for every single human being. And I talk about the simplicity and I talk, you know, when I point, I, I use words that apply to people wherever they are in their life. So if they're not spiritual at all, then I would not even dream of saying anything about uh, spirituality. But I would say something like, you know, where I point to is about, you know, how the mind works. And the mind works the same for everyone, 7.5 billion people, irrespective of whether you're a psychiatrist or a mental health professional, or whether you are a patient or a teacher or anyone. And I basically what I say, when I use very layman terms, when I explain how we all human beings work, irrespective of culture, you know, accent, clearly my accent is very different to, you know, British accent, and your upbringing, your conditioning, because what happens, Ella, is when we try to help people, especially in, in the mental health services, I think we are always looking at the picture seems very complex. Yeah. Everyone, you know, people might have different symptoms, then they might say, okay, you, you might say that, okay, this person has depression or, you know, this person has bipolar, this person has schizophrenia, and everything looks so complex. No two people with the same diagnosis would come across exactly the same. Yeah. So when there's this textbook description of something, and then when people come to you with their own unique experience of life and what has happened to them over the years, we will know that, and everyone will admit this, that no two people will fit in the same box, but they still have the same diagnosis. And then people also seem very complex. So why it appears complex is because we are focusing on people's behavior, people's upbringing, people's story and people's medication history, people's therapy history, and everything looks very, very complicated. And then we get more lost and then we try to help people, but then we are getting, you know, farther and farther away from actually where the answer lies. And so I still need to do my bits as a psychiatrist for sure. But then what I've really seen help people is also pointing them, them back to the true essence. Like, and I call it the simplicity. And I say, look, at the end of the day, everyone works the same way. And if we understand how the mind works, not just for you and me, but also for your family, you know, for our families, for the entire population, then we know that we are not unique in our suffering. And this also gives us a reason to understand, oh, why are we stressed in the first place? You know, where does it come from? 
and how can we really educate ourselves so that we don't have to be at the mercy of our thoughts and feelings and emotions. And I think no one can argue with that. And this is why I call what I teach people psychoeducation. I'm educating them about psychology of the mind. I love that phrase, psychoeducation, yeah. So just to clarify, what you call the essence is the simplicity of our functioning, of how our minds function, is that right? I use it very loosely sometimes to say that, but I'm pointing to something much, much, much deeper than that. Mm -hmm. And obviously when I say essence, I'm talking about our true self, mm -hmm. but then might might be hard for people to digest or to even comprehend what, what I'm saying. But all I would say to people is, look, there is more to you than appears. There's more to you just than your labels and your diagnosis. Then there's more to you than your person. And it really depends where people are because I don't want them to be put off. I really need to meet people where they are. And I think what people get from me is that they know I'm listening because I'm not trying to teach them something. I really listen, but I'm also saying that in my listening, I honor the stories, I validate the stories, but I also you know, want to move them to the place that the stories are not who they are. They're much more than the stories of what happened. Mm -hmm. And that's in a way beautiful because what you're offering has different levels or different layers maybe of realization and truth and people can take whichever layer they are ready to take. Yeah, I, I think that's so important, isn't it? Because people are also very scared because in a way they have identified themselves with the stories of what happened to them and why they are where they are. So it will be a shock to the system if suddenly everything were to be stripped off because they've come to a psychiatrist and they're saying that this is not who they are. And so I think it's a very gentle approach. People hear what they are willing to hear. But I think the main essence in, in my main pointing to people is that they do not need to keep suffering. And the biggest thing, biggest thing is just because horrible things happened to them in the past. Yeah. And you can't believe how many people sitting in front of me has horrific childhoods. You know, we talk about multiple adverse childhood events and, you know, traumas that sort of they are still uh, struggling with. And it might have happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, a sort of 50 years ago, but people are still carrying that in their memory. And because no one ever told them that sort of how the mind works, the illusionary power of the mind. And yes, the mind will convince people that things that happened in the past are still happening because it's the Maya of the mind. And so for me, if I don't educate my people about the projections of the mind, how the mind can bring any memory, and in a, we call it a flashback or a nightmare, and it can seem so real as if the trauma, they're reliving the trauma right now. So I think this approach, this educational approach, really allows people to know that just because they have a very sort of, I call it full body experience, full psychological experience of you know whatever happened to their thought, they're still okay and there's no danger right now. And I think it's really important to just keep reminding people of the power of the mind and how it takes us back to the past. And it's not just our thinking, right? It, you know, people talk about the full-bodied experience of what happened. And I think the more they see this, they get less and less frightened of the experiences and they don't get as scared next time they have this flashback. They don't get as scared if they have a negative thought. 
And this is the essence of my teaching or, you know, how I like to share people about dealing with stress or dealing with uncomfortable thoughts and feelings, for example. So you're really teaching and talking about learning how to interact with our own emotions and thoughts, not taking them too personally, not taking them too seriously, feeling them, seeing them, but not really completely identifying with them, saying, this is who I am. Can we say that? On a superficial level, I guess this is the easiest one to share with people because what's happening is, you know, I'll tell you what, Ella, when people come to see a mental health professional, they've already tried lots of coping strategies and they have worked so hard on trying to fix their experiences. And no matter what they do, they haven't been able to get rid of those. And sometimes they try good stuff, like they might go to the gym, they might do meditation, they might do really good things. Uh, but there are other times they also use very unhelpful coping strategies, like maybe they start drinking more because it just numbs their mind or they start using drugs you know, that sort of thing, or gambling. And so there's a quote I like by the late Sidney Banks, and he says something in the lines of, I can't remember the exact quote, but mm -hmm. only people were to be um, not so scared or, you know, did not have to be so scared of the experiences that itself would change the world. Meaning the problem is the suffering is because we are you know, so scared of experiences and we are trying to change it all the time. So if we only learned not to get so scared of experiences, we wouldn't feel so traumatized or so stressed. And that comes back to what you are asking, whether this is what I share. Exactly. This is the starting point. So if people know that they don't need to be scared of the experiences because they understand, oh, this is the working of the mind. Mm -hmm. So if they see this, then we can go to the next level of really looking at sort of the true essence. And I would like to invite you again uh, for the next episode to look at the essence. Okay, I would love to. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode, Ronnie, and uh, look forward to meeting you for the next episode. Thank you, Ella. Thank you for listening to the Peaceful Ease podcast. If this episode resonated with you, please share it with friends and family. Remember, the bigger the support, the more fun the journey becomes. If you'd like to get in touch with Ela, you can reach out to her at peacefulease.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Until next time, be kind to yourself.